and welcome to this year's last edition of Talking Football Extra, the Yaustik edition, your source for all things low league football. Well, it's been one hell of a half season. We're done with the Hinrunde. We've played 18 matches in the Bundesliga 2. The Dritte Liga is at its halfway stage. So there's loads and loads of stories to talk about so far this season. So we thought that we might, you know, take a closer look at some of the highlights and low points of the season so far. My name is Nick Viltagen and I'm joined by a man who had a bit of a low point this weekend. It's Mike Krukemeyer who didn't particularly enjoy the action that was going on on the pitch on Friday night. Did you? No. No. Um, <laughs> gentlemen, you fared better. Are you here too? How are you today from Darmstadt point of view? Oh, feeling very good. Just one point behind Pauli, but I won't rub it in Mike's face too much. We'll see what comes in the second half of the season. Well, there you go. I mean, you are in the Christmas spirit wearing um, a Christmas hat. You know, uh, <laughs> a Christmas hat. I'm getting there. And some Christmas lights in the background. I don't know if you can see that. Kind of. off. They were flashing, but uh, they are off now. Slightly dampener on the mood now. Oh, oh. Thing, things are starting to go downhill for Jasmine, it turns out. Well, oh. anyways, uh, we'll be back in uh, just a gif to give you, a, you know, a rundown of all the highlights and scandals and, you know, unpleasant stories that the Bundesliga 2 has produced so far this season. So stick with us. So here we go. Uh, let's take a closer look at what's been going on in the Bundesliga 2 so far this season. Well, we have a top three consisting of uh, St. Pauli, Darmstadt. We have a top six because... Yeah, we do have the- a top six, to be honest, yeah. because uh, the places three to six are at 30 points each. And maybe you should also bring in your beloved Werder Bremen Yay! at 7 with 29. So they are still in the race, or they are back in the race. They're back in the race after 9 points from 3 matches. I mean, if they'd averaged uh, the 1.5 points they'd taken under Marcus Anfang before he was sacked, uh, they probably would be 5 or 6 points behind the relegation player spot. Now they're 1 point behind, which, um, you know, is... Um, pleasant way of starting your Christmas holiday when you didn't expect that to happen only a couple of weeks ago. But yeah, we have we have a, a sort of a six-way race for the spot and two teams that have sort of managed to, to get away from the rest of the chasing pack. So why do you think those two sides, your two sides, have managed to um, actually carve out a bit of a lead? Jasmine goes first. I have no idea. We've lost five games, which is the highest out of the top three. And then you get into Schalke and it seems pretty average. I think it's been a very big surprising season for us, especially coming into the season. We had a COVID outbreak. We still had to play. We lost the first two, three games because of that COVID outbreak. Um, And to come back from that in the way that we did, especially also losing to Hansa Rostock is very surprising. The underlying numbers didn't really back Darmstadt either, but it's been a testament. I've said on this podcast many times when it's come down to recruitment, the likes of bringing in Luca Fiverr and Philip Tietz in, because the biggest thing was replacing Serda Dursen, last season top scorer, and a lot of, I would say, critics were probably thinking that Darmstadt wouldn't have done that well or on the level of Dursen last season. And that is probably the right way to think, but with some clever recruitment, we have two top scorers in the top four um, and really replace the goals. The team is the highest scoring um, and not the worst defence either, those Losses have been compensated with wins, more wins than anyone else in the table. So it's a very ride or die <laughs> tactic from the team. Well, Mike, why is your team topping the table despite uh, this weekend's loss? Yeah, I think quite similar. We also do have four losses at the moment, but we do have 11 wins. And I think that's a very, very crucial difference to the other Hamburg side because they have lost two games less than we, but they also have 
four wins less than we do have because they have so many draws. And that's probably one thing which is pretty obvious. We are, yeah, hop our top team. We managed to win. And if we don't, then okay, we, we got beaten <laughs> like in Darmstadt and Kiel. But you better lose these two games with 3-0 and 4-0 instead of losing five or six games or instead of drawing nine times. So, okay, here we go and let's see what comes up in the rest of this season. <laughs> there you go. I mean, both of your sides have one thing in common is that the top man, the striker, has actually been crucial. I mean, in Darmstadt's case, it's been uh, Luca Pfeiffer and uh, for St. Pauli, it's been Guido Borgsteller, who's a bit of a renaissance going for himself this season. And when you sort of start to think about what was said and written about him two years ago when he left Schalke, wow, that is quite a comeback, isn't it? Yeah, and you saw that in the Schalke game. He was quite happy with his two goals, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I thought he was. Anyways, I'm talking about top performances so far, and this is sort of like a roundup of the hidden runners. Now we've rounded up the pretty much your two teams are pretty much the most surprising teams, I would say. What, what have been the sort of negative surprises for you so far in terms of team performances so far this season? I, I would put it the other way around. My positive surprise, to be honest, is Werder Bremen, because I expected them to struggle much more than they do at the moment. And uh, yeah, well, if if you think back three or four weeks, <laughs> you wouldn't have, like you said, you, you wouldn't have expected them to be in this position that they are at the moment. So that's my positive surprise, except St. Pauli and Darmstadt, of course. And negative surprise, well, Fortuna Düsseldorf, I would have expected them to be in a similar situation like the others at the top at the moment. And well, they, they need to improve. Otherwise, they will have a very, very hard run in the second half. Yeah, I think I'm agreeing with Werder Bremen. There was a lot of talk about before the season, finding that Schalke and Werder Bremen, would, the thought that they would bounce back up, anyone who's experienced the league would think, no, not really, it's very hard. I'm still kind of disappointed in Schalke for the team they actually have and how they're performing, I think is a disappointment. It's nowhere close to the likes of how bad Ingolstadt and Sanderhausen have been. Sanderhausen has improved as of late, just our, and they've been really, really poor. It just feels like it's almost not even a fight. Kiel as well. Kiel has been a big disappointment. Every time I feel like they're going to do better, they stumble. And I, it, I just hope they stay a little bit higher than their relegated lot because I do like Kiel as a team. Yeah, me too. I mean, this is of Kiel, the great shots for disappointments. Um, kind of disappointed in Hanover. I mean, they are sort of club that should have the resources and the funds to actually do a lot better in this league. And, uh, you know, they've always talked about their long-term goal is to get back to the Bundesliga. Well, they better be careful that they won't get relegated to the third tier because that's where they're heading with 20 points from 17 matches and today's 4-1 thrashing at the hands of uh, Werder Bremen. Uh, certainly doesn't bode well for, for the future, even despite uh, Sebastian Kerk scoring a bit of a cheeky goal for them. Anyway, so those are pretty much uh, Hanover, Fortuna Düsseldorf, Holstein Kiel, most disappointing stories so far this season. Well, if we look at the player side then, and if I'd ask you guys to sort of compile a uh, best uh, starting 11 of the Bundesliga 2 season so far, let's say that we're going for a 3-5-2 system here. Well, Jasmine just rolled her eyes. She's she's more in favor of a 3-3-2 without a keeper. But... Um, yeah, let's 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 keep it simple. What do you want to go for for, for sexy four four two? No, I, I think I would say four three three. All right, let's do four three three. All right, doesn't you, exist in the sleep, but let's do it. Yes, I mean a non-existent <laughs> formation for the Bundesliga two. I love it. Uh, so where where would we start with the keeper? I mean, um, you sit there in Darmstadt. I I think you probably have a firm favorite for who'd be your first choice, right? No, I was going to go with a completely separate keeper. Oh. I was going to go with um, Sandhausen's, like a relegation tier, because they face the most shots, and I think I've been more impressed with the relegation keepers. 
than the ones at the top. And Shun is sometimes... I'm not going to say anything about my own team. That is bad. But I'm going to go with a... I think Sandhausen, someone please remind me of the name because I'm going blank. Patrick Lewis. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Patrick Lewis is my goalkeeper shout. All right. Uh, Mike, would you agree with that? It, it wouldn't have come to my mind, but the more I think about it, it's it's very, very good choice. Um, I remember one or two games of him where he was just outstanding. And yeah, like Jasmine said, it might be easier to be in the goal of one of the top teams and he does a very good job at the back. If I need to choose one, I would probably go... How many St. Pauli players am I allowed to have in my team at the end? 11. Uh, then I go with Nicolas Vazil. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, I mean, just to bring in some stats to put this sort of a little bit into context, the keepers with the most uh, clean sheets in the Bundesliga 2 are actually Marcel Schoen from Darmstadt and Christian Matenia from Nuremberg. Both of them have seven clean sheets so far this season. Schoen has conceded 15 goals, Matenia has conceded 21. And that is actually followed by Kevin Brawl and the uh, Dynamo Dresden goal, who is. Not conceded a goal on five occasions, but conceded 25 goals in total. All right. How about the back four? I mean, I mean, Mike, you're probably going to go for, I don't know, four St. Pauli players. <laughs> Anyhow, I, I'm not here for football content. I, I'm for the supporter <laughs> stuff. So I, I don't even know 11 names outside of St. Pauli. So let me start with definitely Lea Pacarada on, uh, on the outside. and Former Zantasen player. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. I will go for Thomas Ovejan from Schalke. I think he's far too good for the league. I will go for Patrick Pfeiffer from Darmstadt. And uh, my last one will be... I, I go for Jakov Medic from St. Pauli. Do, do I have three center backs now? Oh, I don't care. So. <laughs> I think we can pick any position as long as they're defenders. Okay. I think that I think that's fairer because that would be <laughs> we'll be here discussing what tactics and I normally get my lefts and rights the wrong way around. So if I have put someone wrong, either tell me or um mm. yeah, otherwise I have to think again. Sean Lau from HSV is one of mine. Um, Patrick Pfeiffer as well, Thomas Isherwood and I think last one I didn't want to go with the Darmstadt one, but I think I'm going to go Fabi Holland because he's captain as well. And he's been a very energetic, but kind of mature spirit to Egon Darmstadt, as well as his other abilities. All right. So that is the back four then. Three midfielders. I mean, I'd, I'd be what about you? surprised. You, you need to pick <laughs> well, some players. Okay, I can, I, I, can, I can pick some players. <laughs> um, all right. I haven't I haven't written anything down. But yes, I'm definitely going to go with Thomas Isherwood. Um, maybe even with uh, Jan-Niklas Beste uh, from uh, from Regensburg. I would agree with your pick with uh, Thomas Ovejan. And... I mean, I'm just going to pick four defenders. I'm not going to care about what position they play. Um, Christopher Schindler from, from Nuremberg, I do like too. So that would be my back four, consisting of um, some rather strange players. who probably would never play in that formation if they were at the same club anyways. But midfield top three, I can go first if you want me to. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Mats müller Deli. going to go with uh, Hanno Behrens as well. And uh, Jackson Irvine. Ooh. So those are my... My three picks for the midfield. How about you guys? Are you allowed to pick St. Pauli players? <laughs> I'm allowed to pick St. Pauli players. Yes, I am. Okay. Jasmine, do you want to go first? No, you go first. Okay, I pick Sapreet Singh from Regensburg. I really like him. I also go for, of course, Daniel Kofi-Xiri. I think he's the best player in our team at the moment and probably one of definitely the best player, midfield players in the league. And my last choice, and no one is allowed to listen now, I pick Sonny Kittle from HSV. All right, um, Jasmine, do you, do you want to go and pick Finn Olobeka for, for Mike's sake now? <laughs> <laughs> There's actually so many that I can pick from that I'm actually really, really um, 
annoying. You you went for the four three three, not you know. I I suggested five yeah. midfielders. Yeah, but then it's like, what is a midfielder compared to a forward and a winger? And yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm gonna say I think Gross from Werder Bremen, especially recently. I think the last few games and him coming back into the squad has changed Werder Bremen completely. Toby Kemper because he's especially he's been put in the double pivot and excelled amazingly at Darmstadt. And the last one, I'm gonna go Bina Oloberka. All right, and uh, well, I, I think probably all of us are going to agree the top two are going to be Gero Buschta and Luca Pfeiffer, right? I'm going Philip Tietze instead. No, uh, I agree with the top. Two, of course, but we need to pick three, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, then my number three is Sven Michel from Paderborn. Oh, there you go. So it's Luca Pfeiffer, Guido Burgstaller for all three of us. You go for Sven Michel. Jasmine goes for Philip Tietz. Well, yeah, I'm probably I'm probably going to agree with Mike here and go with Sven Michel, who actually... Uh, yeah! He wastes oh. too many chances, you know. He wastes too many chances. I mean... Bad fan, bad fan. <laughs> I'm, I'm objective. Okay, so that's that's sort of our top top eleven players. Um, I mean, if we turn the other way around, and I would ask you to highlight one negative surprise of a, a player you expected more from this season, who would that be? Can I not go with a player and then go with Marcus Hampton? <laughs> no, that, that's that's when we come to the scandal of the season so far. So. Oh, okay. Bad? I don't even remember bad people. That's going to be I don't remember me. bad people. Oh, wow. <laughs> Hanover's... No, Hanover aren't bad. They're just managed poorly. Can I just say the full Ingolstadt 11? <laughs> I mean, for me, if, I, if I'd go with a sort of personal disappointment, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the Ingolstadt 11 is actually a good shout. I mean, seven points from... 18 matches speaks a language of itself. But, you know, I actually, talking about Sandhausen, I did expect a little bit more from Daniel Keita-Raru. I think he's a, he's a very decent player. I'm kind of disappointed by Linton Maynard and his performances so far um, for Hanover 96. And, you know, if I have to pick an uh, Ingolstadt player, I yeah, I yeah, could pick the full 11. But, I mean, Christian Gebauer, Michael Heinlord, Stefan Kutschke... All of these guys really have had really, really bad seasons. And uh, if, if I was to pick uh, a Werder Bremen player, I probably would pick Lars Lucas Mai. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that one. When going think, thinking of disappointments, that was the, one of the ones that came up that I thought would do really well as well. I haven't been that impressed by Itakura from Schalke either. That was another one that I, I think he's done a lot better recently, but a couple of games ago... He hasn't looked very uncomfortable. I think. Your disappointments, Mike? Uh, I don't really like that category, but maybe it's the easiest choice just to pick one of HSV. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Even their mothers are disappointed in them because they play for HSV. <laughs> when I remember the fuss in the media in the summer when he was signed, I will go for Ludovic Rice. I know it's a little bit unfair because he's just 21, but. Uh, when you read the media in summer, it was sure that he will bring HSV back to the European Championship. I'm, I'm sure. And uh, of course, he could not match that expectations. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's okay, I think. But definitely the supporters expected more from him. And um, yeah, let's wait and see. I mean, you read the Kicker Burza, which is sort of like a grading system that the uh, traditional football paper Kicker has... Um in Germany, uh, where they give grades ranging from 1 to 6, where 1 is the best grade you could possibly get and 6 is the worst. And Ludovic Rice is actually quite a good shout, I found out. I, I just looked at the list for the Bundesliga 2 when you were talking, Mike. And do you want to guess which place he's in out of the 211 players that have been rated so far this season? Well, something around... Say 180. We are at the dots. <laughs> 196. What? He's not that ah, bad. Whoa. He's, he's uh, been good recently. I'm gonna throw hands. He's <laughs> right in front of Blas Lucas Mai, actually. 
and Lucas Hinterseer and Dennis Tomala. Wow, that is some company to be in as uh, Jasmine nods and takes a, a sip of a very fancy gin. <laughs> Anyways, uh, let's move on from disappointing players to how about the uh, best board ad that we've seen all season? That surely must go to some Pauli, right, Mike? Of course. Uh, flyer service. Um, the yeah. Um, yes. Um, it, it was uh, a fantastic story because they screwed up the, the AFD, the political right wing party here in Germany. It, it's a fake company. Uh, they, uh, the flyer service harm. Have we talked about that in one of the previous sessions? No, no. I don't think so. Yeah, it, it was it, a fantastic story. Uh, they they uh, promised to the AFD that they will print, I don't know, 1 million, maybe just 100,000, I don't remember the numbers, uh, flyers for, for them. And they collected the money and then it turned out they are not even a company. Um, and uh, yeah, well, and on the weekend after that, uh, became public, St. Pauli greeted them on, on the ad board. And of course, this goes uh, quite high in, in social media. And it was a really great story. I absolutely loved it. Uh, Jasmine, uh, what is your heartwarming fan story of the season so far? If you would have to pick one. I'm going to go with um, what was just said and agree with that one because that one... It Anyone who messes up with the AFD is always going to take first place and I have no other fan stories because I'm not associated with fans but I'm so new here that I haven't really got down in the thick of things yet and I'm going to blame COVID for that. Well, I mean, talking about COVID, sort of like the, the fan story of the season appeared to be that the fans were going to go back to the stadium but, <laughs> <laughs> well, that is over for now. Kind of. Anyways, we have to talk about the biggest scandals of the season so far as well. So, Jasmine? Uh, Florian Junger. I can only be one. <laughs> the real scandal is that Florian Junger's name is hardly mentioned when it comes to Marcus Anfang when both of them did it. Almost bigger than the scandal itself. No, it's not bigger than the scandal itself, obviously. I mean, it's sort of like whenever <laughs> you read an article about it, it's sort of like five, eight, nine paragraphs about Marcus Anthony and what he did and what he's accused of. And, and the last sentence is, oh, and his assistant Florian Junger left the club because he did the same thing. I was like, oh, it's, it's a footnote. <laughs> <laughs> he is also being looked into. Yeah, obviously, it's not even biggest scandal of the season of the Spider Bundesliga season, it's probably the biggest scandal of all German football, I would probably say. Maybe match fixing almost there, but match fixing at the end of the day is doesn't harm a lot of people's health in the same way. Maybe if you trace back the money in whatever mafia boss it goes to, but that's a very deep down. But in Obviously, forging your vaccination certificate and not having a vaccine and saying that you do and then being pictured at a very big festival as well is obviously basically unraveled in front of our eyes in real time to the point that it was basically a true crime being played out on a podcast in front of us. And I don't think anything has had that kind of attention before, especially when we are in the times that we are in, where these certificates are necessary, are needed. And for someone to think they're above that, to a point that they will risk their whole life, their whole career, everything that they've worked towards to do is still shocking it still doesn't register in my brain and for it to be your team and also my team kind of not involved but that's where his legacy's from and if there's any Kiel fans listening I would like to hear their like opinion on it too and how they feel because he's a legend in Kiel so it's quite unreal even now. I mean the difference here between um, him and uh, Michael Royce you know, pretending that he had a driver's license. You know, some people compared it to that, but I mean, in the day and age we live, we're basically one step away of well, any of us being <laughs> really harmful to the people around us if we're not vaccinated and we attend two G plus events. 
So it's not it's, it's not the same thing, even though um, I mean, in terms of the crime that the sort of category of crime that it goes under is pretty much the same. But anyways, well, I think we can we can end it there. If you don't have any bigger scandals, maybe we can talk about Christian Seifert in the next episode uh, if he continues to do rubbish interviews like the one he just did on the weekend. Uh, oh, which one was that? He done so many. <laughs> done so many. And, uh, I think I referred to the one where he said that. I'm 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 employed by all 36 clubs uh, of the Bundesliga and Bundesliga 2. I saw him being quoted as in kicker, and I thought, "Well, that's okay." <laughs> yeah, he, is. he was, but he was. no, he he talked. Yes, but, um, it didn't it didn't necessarily always feel that way. Yeah, okay, uh, but no, he he told on the weekend that the DFB DFL should not talk to supporters associations anymore that much because they are just. Uh, for for 5% of the people in the stadium and most of the people just would like to eat a proper steak and uh, watch some football. A and, proper um, steak? Yeah, nackensteak to be precise. I don't know the English word for that. And uh, yeah, he, he, he said that in the end, most of the supporters just want to wear the national jersey when it comes to the World Cup. And so we should not uh, talk to these 5% uh, people who are represented in a supporters association. And that's it. So all anybody ever wanted who goes to a football stadium is to have a nackensteak. Yeah, greasy, full and fat, giving you a heart attack at any moment, beer, and just being entertained uncritically whilst wages explode, Bayern, you know, wins year in and year out, and um, this, you know, the gap in between the haves and haves not gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and, bigger. and yeah, that's fun. Yeah, uh, and they want to go on vacation and just uh, enjoy football on the weekend. So this pretty much sums up what he said. And I mean, for, for me, it's not a scandal. I expect him to say that stuff because the way he's acted the last 17 years, it speaks to a man who thinks about the football community or people who go to football matches more as customers and clients and consumers, not as fans. You know, he wouldn't know what goes on within an ultra group. He wouldn't know what goes into an, a choreo. He, he, you know, and even though he thinks it's four or five percent of the stadium going public, he might, I don't know, he might have cracked the numbers. He might be right on that. But um, I think he underestimates the reach and the importance of what these fans are doing in the stadium. And, and I, I slightly disagree on what you just said about the last 17 years, because it's no surprise, maybe, that he says this now when he steps back as the chairman of the DFL. In the last 17 years, I think that he made quite a good job. And when I think uh, back to the start of the pandemic, I really liked Christian Seifert. I'm ashamed that I need to say that now. But uh, the, the way he acted at that stage, saying that, football needs to step down, that there are more important things at the moment and so on. I think he did that in a really, really good way. And so I, for myself, am a little bit disappointed that he now shows his real face probably again uh, when he leaves the DFL. Well, yeah, I mean, it maybe speaks to the fact that I might be a slightly more cynical man than you. Uh, <laughs> Because I always thought of Christian Seifert as the sort of man who, you know, as I said, thinks about football, guys going to football as customers, clients, consumers, whatever. And uh, But, you know, whoever sits in these positions in the DFL and the DFB, you know, they, they don't really, they've never understood fanship and what goes into it. And, uh, you know, call me crazy, but I don't think they ever will. You might be right. And... Um, the DFB in particular is even a more horrifying example of that than the DFL. But, you know, that we could do an entire special of. DFB, the white man and all their mistakes, summed up in 36 hours. <laughs> it's the short version of what's been going on the last couple of years. Anyways, I think we'll be taking a break right now and we'll be back with, uh, well, what's been going on in the Dritte Liga and Mike is going to give you some ground-topping tip from the top of his head.
Here we are. Well, something really nasty, ugly, disappointing happened in the match between MSO Duisburg and Falwell Osnabrück, and that is probably going to take a lot of time, so it's probably going to be the only sort of topic that we'll be able to talk about. So here's what happened, or what was going on ahead of this game. MSO Duisburg are sort of in trouble at the bottom of uh, the Dritte Liga. They're fighting relegation. The traditional German team, us who were young in the 90s, we sort of always knew them to be a Bundesliga side. Those who were around in the 70s, they even saw European action in Duisburg, but they've fallen on some hard times, and the fans in particular have taken it very hard over the last few years. So that's why they're there. That's why they're in the Dritte Liga, and now they're fighting relegation, and they might be sinking even further. So today they were facing Falfall Osnabrück, who is sort of like a mid-table Dritte Liga side that has been for has forayed into the Bundesliga 2 on some occasions over the last decade or so. So Mike, Jasmine, tell me what happened during that match. Why do we have to talk about this match? Unfortunately, it's not a fun or easy subject. And especially we've gotten it quite a few times on the, this podcast, especially um, when talking about lower leagues and even this fight to Bundesliga, it's happened many times, but today a, uh, a match was abandoned after 33 minutes, after Osnabrück's um, Aaron Opoku suffered racist abuse from the home fans, and it's just annoying that we have to talk about racism from fans nearly every week, and there's a, a racist incident that we have to bring up nearly every week, but it's very nice to hear about some of the circumstances that came out because of this racist incident. Obviously, Osnabrück felt like they couldn't continue the match, even though the offender was found and kicked out of the stadium. But no one should have to go on with the match after being racially abused. What's worse is one of... Uh, Duisberg's own players was also racially abused in Leroy Kvadvo. So it's not something that's an isolated incident or to only their away players. It's even worse. It's their own actual players. But the reaction from the fans, both home and away fans um, chanting Nazis out, the, the Duisberg PA blaring out an anti-Nazi song over the sound system. Also very, very, very cool. I don't think we'd ever get that anywhere else, especially not in England. Very quick thinking from everyone to try and uh, diffuse the situation that happened. Um, so even though it was a bad circumstance, I feel like it was handled quite well. But yeah, it's, it's just a shame that these fans can still be allowed to go into games at the moment. Obviously, COVID isn't so much of a problem that they haven't stopped and they're not behind closed doors. But then you get incidents like this and it's just a bit like, I really don't want to deal with this. I prefer Geistespiel because if we're getting a racist incident nearly every week, why? Why do we have to deal with these people? Yeah, we do have a vaccinated Nazi in the stadium, which, you know, it's um, strange. <laughs> Oxymoron, almost. It is, it is. But uh, yeah, as you said, the, the, the PA blood, the Erzis song, Schrei nach Liebe, which label all of these folks as uh, assholes, what they quite clearly are. So what uh, the Osnabrück player reported was that there were monkey chants directed against him. Mike, and you, you, you're a referee, and what I have to say is that I, I want to I wanna take a minute and step back and applaud the referee for taking the teams off the pitch and then deciding, okay, I'm going to abandon this match. Because that's not been a given in all of these circumstances around Europe or in lower divisions. Or if we look back to the Euros this year, where Christian Eriksen pretty much collapsed on the pitch and was clinically dead for, you know, a brief moment or two, his teammates were forced to get back onto the pitch totally different circumstance uh, but it was a traumatic experience nevertheless and this was clearly this too was a traumatic experience what happened to the Osnabrück players but the referee actually had the decency to take them off the pitch and say okay guys great I, I understand that you cannot go on playing and I'm going to respect that and I'm going to abandon the match I mean that that is some bloody good refereeing isn't it 
Yeah, definitely. Um, there is this, I, I think it's this three-step plan that how how to react on racist incidents. And I, th- I think the first one is to interrupt the game and then the announcer should say something to, to stop this behavior. They probably have skipped that step. I'm not sure. I haven't seen any video footage, but maybe this was just not necessary anymore as like Jasmine said, Leroy Quadro was also racially abused. And then, secondly, you should go with the teams uh, inside. He did that. And then, I'm not sure if it was really his decision. Uh, probably the Osnabrück players just said, we don't want to continue. And as Duisburg also uh, agreed to that, it was probably a very easy choice for him. But definitely, we have seen that in other ways. We have seen that, especially in, in also in, in, in Germany, but also in other countries. Um, I think there were some incidents in, in France and so on. And of course, also in Eastern Europe. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's very, very good how he treated the whole uh, situation. And um, yeah, like you said, it's, uh, it's necessary to, to applaud him for that. And maybe this, this incident will have some good outcome in the end. And we, we might need to keep up this discussion in, in a bigger audience, uh, in public, and hopefully the situation will improve. But uh, on the other, one aspect I would like to add is I am, well, happy is the wrong word, totally, uh, but I think it's really good that this happened in Western Germany, Mm. And not again in, for example, Dresden, Rostock, Auerzwickau, uh, whatever, because then everyone would say, oh, okay, it's the Eastern Germany problem again. But no, it's it's a general German problem. And from that perspective, it's good that this happened in a proper club in, in, in the West, in, in North Rhine-Westphalia. And it, it's not okay to say it's good that it happened there, but I hope you understand what I mean. I do, I do, and uh, I mean, I, you know, I've, everybody who knows the name Clemens Tonius knows that there are races living in Northern Westphalia. Anyways, I, you know, I, I mean, what I would like to add as well to this whole scenario, and um, I, you know, I've been thinking about it ever since I read about it. It was that the last time something similar happened, it happened at a much bigger venue with a lot more spectators. But that was the case when Schalke was taking on Hertha Berlin in the DFB Pokal, and Tor Henriga was given the same treatment by some of the Schalke fans. What happened there was that Tor Henriga um, got frustrated throughout the match and in the end ended up kicking a what was it a bottle of water or something or something along the lines, and he got the second yellow card for that behavior instead of you know finding a referee. He was bit more lenient and understanding with a player who's just been undergoing racial abuse so different treatments there for the players and uh you know uh, the the referee there was i think it was osmus uh the guy from bremen so uh, i think it was good to see that you actually had a referee here at this match who um took this stuff seriously and um actually decided to to listen to the players of pretty much both teams it turns out but um jasmine you know, you said you're tired of talking about this week in and week out. What can we do? How can we get to a point where we don't have to talk about this anymore? Other than removing Lock Leipzig from the scripts. And <laughs> But, you know, as, as Mike said, this is this is not just a problem of Lock Leipzig, Dynamo Dresden, Hansa Rostock. It turns out you get these idiots everywhere. Everywhere, unfortunately. And it will never change. What we can do to challenge it is... Uh, loaded question number one is always education germany does a lot better on teaching in education about their past and why they shouldn't be racist compared to where i come from in england so i feel with that basis is always a better way of challenging that and a lot more people know but again then it's representation having more black voices higher up in football, especially German football and of other backgrounds. All the way down, you have to think from the top bottom rather than the other way around. And then thirdly, hoping that people 
at fan level actually call out people for their behavior. It's not only monkey chants, it's the backhanded comment, it's calling someone aggressive based on their skin color when you wouldn't call a person of a white background the same verb to describe them. It's dehumanizing language that you might not realize. And the better, the more that we can actually realize our racial judgments and our racial unconscious mind against other people and knowing how to challenge that unconscious part of the, your brain that tends that seems to be racist in ways you don't know in terms of language and what have you the better basis we can to move on from these incidents right so uh to sum it up in a couple of sentences the fight is going to keep going and going and going and we must keep going and going and going and tell these people to Get the fuck out of our stadiums or learn a lesson or two. Yeah, to add just one sentence, you can't solve this issue in football. It's a society issue. You just need to watch the news. Um, and especially nowadays in the pandemic, people are going on the streets because they don't want to be vaccinated. And you do have so much people going there where you see their political uh, view is right-wing and probably they just, I don't know, use this pandemic situation to bring their opinion on the streets. And we do have these people, not only in Germany, but this is where we can deal with them. And um, yeah, therefore, it will be a topic in the upcoming years and the work never ends. Right. Also, that's a good that's a good point. It's a societal issue. Football only reflects what's happening in society. One quick way to get rid of that is probably just to ban and end Facebook. End Facebook. End Facebook. <laughs> Everybody, get on Twitter or Telegram. No, you choose. Don't. No, don't. don't. No, don't. No, oh, hang on. Hang on. Hang no. on. Hang on. Cut that out. <laughs> hang on. Hang on. I didn't mean that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Mike. Uh, let's change topic ever so so drastically and then let's let's go for some holiday cheer do, do you know any sort of christmasy place you can go to as a ground hopper cheer it up not in germany i think football is uh, abandoned until mid of january well no 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 the first of the first january weekend the bundesliga starts again uh second league starts one week after um but your question, of course, will be, what is my ground hopping advice? And as we do have Christmas, I do have a present for you. You can choose between two grounds. Wow. But, uh, yeah. Uh, you can either go for my favorite stadium in Germany at all. And it's not the Milan Tour. This is what? out of... Uh, yeah, I, 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 I can't pick the Milan Tour. That would be too easy. Or you can uh, learn on which ground I spend most of my youth. But you only have one choice. Well, I mean, you're from Bremen, so I probably would assume that... It's not the Weserstadion. I probably would assume it's uh, the stadium of Oberneuland or something. Or maybe uh, the, uh, the the team, the, the ground where the second team plays. No, the um, third one. You, you should not oh, guess. You them. just should pick either the stadium <laughs> of my youth or my favorite stadium in Germany. All right, I'm, I'm going to go for the favorite stadium because at some point you're going to have to make me another present. Jasmine also has a vote. Uh, <laughs> I will go for the same road so we don't. Ah, okay. <laughs> so I, I will I will tell you the stadium of my youth next time. <laughs> um, the, my favorite stadium in Germany at all is it's the Ruhrstadion in Bochum. The Ruhrstadion in Bochum. Wow. I love this. It's so great. Um, your former St. Pauli friend Max Kruse just had a few choice <laughs> words from ah, yeah, the yeah, fans. Yeah, yeah, I saw that video. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, it's it's a uh, uh, well, it's not because it's next to Starlight Express. <laughs> of course, this is also a benefit, but <laughs> that's not the main reason. I really like this. It's I I assume we do have some listeners from England, and this is as much English as it can be because you're just walking through the streets, and out of nowhere there's a stadium. Uh, in between some houses, uh, well, um, on the other side of the street, there's a prison. It's also quite funny, but okay. Um, <laughs> I 
I thought you were going to say also quite British. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, <laughs> British everywhere in Britain. I mean, ah. um, no, and and I, I really, really, really like this, and um, I. Uh, it was one of the first stadiums where I went to in my in my youth with with Werder. Your misspent youth. Yeah, <laughs> and um, um, <laughs> and especially as a visiting supporter, it's in the good old days they had the whole stand uh, for for the guest stand, and uh, now they just have this small triangle and just some seats next to it but it's it's still a really great atmosphere from from Bochum's side also when they start to playing the Herbert Grönemeyer song of which is called Bochum and it's not football related in uh, at least from from the beginning you have the floodlights you see them from from far away uh, i i can't describe it it's it's just my most favorite stadium in Germany and every time when St. Pauli is not playing in the same division as Bochum it's a wasted year <laughs> well, I, I really like to play them I, I go there every single time I don't think I have missed the match in Bochum since uh, St. Pauli played them and every time when we don't play them in the league I hope that we face them in the cup away oh wow Ah, well, there you go. The Ruhrstadion in Bochum, which is a place I haven't visited so far, but it's uh, definitely on my bucket list, and it uh, just jumped up a couple of places, I have to say. Um, by the way, one a couple of uh, notes there. Uh, if you want to read up on what's been going on in the Stadion an der Kastropperstraße, do get Ronald Rank's book Match Days, which is about Heinz Hör, uh, who used to coach Falfeld Bochum. Some great stories there. I think one of them actually entailed, I think it's a derby match against Schalke, which was supposed to be happening during wintertime. And um, Bochum thought, well, well, we can move that match to the uh, Westfalen Stadion in Dortmund. Well, turns out Dortmund was rebuilding the Westfalen Stadion at the time. And Heinz Hör thought, well, hang on, it's cold. It's cold at night, so um, it's it freezes over. So what if we... Just put the entire stadium underwater and everything freezes over. Then we cannot play. Then we'll get another date for the match and we can play in the Westfalen Stadion. That's what they did and that's actually what happened. So um, a lot of great stories from that stadium which have happened. So um, definitely a great top tip for your ground hopping next year. And let's hope we can do some ground hopping next year. I desperately desperately want to do that and of, sorry one thing i need to add of course beer is always a big topic for football supporters and if you go to bochum make sure that you grab a fige beer yes and you can buy that in the stadium so that's a private brewery and uh, it's not the same rubbish like you get in all the other stadiums with that industrial beer it's a real beer Right, I mean, St. Pauli has Astra, right? Rubbish. Rubbish? Yeah. Ah, totally. I hate that. Uh, Werder Bremen has Hakebeck. Ah, okay, that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. What What does Darmstadt have? Tron Basher? Is that the name? I'm not a beer drinker. Oh. Tron Basher. They, they have... Yeah. What gin do you get in the stadium? <laughs> There's a bottle of Bombay Sapphire with Jasmine in, in one of the, the sausage stands. <laughs> <laughs> It's labeled Jasmine, and uh, she's the only one who's allowed to buy stuff from that sausage stand. No, you know what? Actually, there is, if you if you are into your beers, and uh, what, what a way to end the podcast, there actually is a German company that uh, has the Erstligakasten and the Zweitligakasten, which is a case of beer which gives you all the beers that are on sale in the Bundesliga or in the Bundesliga 2. So you can choose if you want the Bundesliga case with the 18 beers from the Bundesliga or the Bundesliga 2 case. So if you want to see if we're, you know, tell you the truth that Astra is rubbish, that Hakebeck is okay, and that Fika is the stuff you really want to drink, get that case or get both cases and uh, you know if we're, if we're telling you the truth. Anyways. Um, or just get a case of Fika. Well, there you go. <laughs> I mean, my personal favorite was actually in Freiburg, which is Rothaus. Okay, yeah. That's also good. 
That is good. Uh, anyways, uh, guys, it's it's been uh, what a half a season we've had. Uh, it's been tremendous fun podcasting with you uh, every two weeks or so. Um, thank you so much for for agreeing to do this with me. Uh, it's truly been a pleasure so far. Let's hope that the second half of the season is uh, going to be as much fun. Uh, but before I let you go, guys, uh, Jasmine, where can people find you on Twitter and where can they find your work? Um, yeah, most of my work is on my Twitter, so just follow me at jasmine underscore bh1. Right, Mike, um, where can people find you talk about Marius Abbas? On Mike Cru at Twitter, uh, or you just follow my retweets of the Milan tour. Right, uh, and you talked about the Advent calendar last time. Uh, has I mean, I haven't been able to follow it the last uh, few days. What a pity. <sighs> yeah, work, 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 and, you know, a bit of Christmas fun. Has there been a Murray's Abbas goal so far on your Christmas calendar? Um, he is included in the calendar. I just need to think if he was already there. I think so. Yes, he was. Right. So look at that. Look at that. Find the Murray's Abbas goal on the advent calendar because uh, he's he's the Zampaoli striker who um, yeah has been uh, he's been scoring all the best goals for them. If, if I am allowed to advertise one episode, then that's the one with Leonardo Manzi. Oh, the, he's the our, Brazilian, right? Yeah, and the myth was that he's the only Brazilian who is not able to play football. Uh, but of course, that's a lie. He was our striker in the late 80s, beginning of the 90s. And he scored a brilliant goal uh, on the last match day of a season with, I think it was 46 match days. Uh, because the, uh, the league was so pumped up after... Uh, Germany was reunited, and um, on that last day against Hanover, he scored a header in the, I don't know, 80s minutes. And we reached him in Brazil, we contacted him, and he said, well, brother, no problem, just call me. And this was so great, because I really love this guy, and um, you can you can hear him smiling when he talks to us on that podcast. So that's really great. That is fantastic. And, uh, well, if you wonder what you wanted to listen to during your holidays, now you know. All right, uh, we'll, we'll be back next year, probably after match day 19 or 20. We'll see about that. Until then, have a very Merry Christmas if you indeed do celebrate Christmas. Happy New Year. Talk to you next year. Bye.